This podcast is brought to you by Dingle Mount Church. It will open up God's word to you, inspire you to love God and grow in the knowledge of him and challenge you to live a victorious Christian life. Be blessed as you listen. Last Sunday we finished off chapter 8 and for those who were here that Sunday you remember what we looked at and that was um, how to avoid spiritual defeat and this evening we are going to be looking at something else and it's quite an interesting story that we have in Joshua chapter 9 and that is um, we're going to see living beyond deception and it's quite an interesting story because um, if you think about the journey of the Israelites right from when they came out of Egypt and on their way, Moses led them, and then Joshua, from what we've seen, uh, took over from Moses. The enemy have always tried to stop God's people. And that's what we need to understand. That in our walk with God, the enemy will do everything possible to stop us from coming or getting to our destination. And in Joshua chapter 9, we're going to see how the enemy figured this out against God's people. And... Um, So Joshua chapter 9, and we're going to read from verses 1 to verse 15. And now it says, all the kings west of the Jordan River, don't forget, they had already crossed, they've had that battle with Ai, which they lost, and then they went again, and God gave them victory. So the other nations knew something was happening. He said, when they heard about what had happened, these were the kings of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hevites, and Jebusites, who lived in the hill country, in the western foothills, and along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, he says, as far north as the Lebanon mountains. These kings combined, you see, that they came together, uh, their armies, to fight against one, against Joshua and the Israelites. But when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, Listen to what they did. They resorted to deception to save themselves. They sent ambassadors to Joshua. He says, loading their donkeys with weathered saddlebags and old patched wineskins. He says, they put on worn-out patched sandals and ragged clothes. And the bread they took with them was dry and moldy. Now, all this was all made up just to deceive the people of God. I says, and when they arrived at the camp of Israel at Gilgal, they told Joshua and the men of Israel, we have come from a distant land to ask you to make peace treaty with us. The Israelites replied to these Hevites, how do we know you don't live nearby? For if you do, we cannot make a treaty with you. They replied, we are your servants. But who are you, Joshua demanded, where do you come from? They answered, Your servants have come from a very distant country. We've heard of the might of the Lord your God and of all that he did in Egypt. We have also heard what he did to the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River. He says, King Sihon of Heshbon and King Og of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth. So our elders and all our people instructed us, take supplies for a long journey. Go meet with the people of Israel and tell them, we are your servants. Please make a treaty with us. This bread was hot from the ovens when we left our homes, but now, as you can see, it is dry and moldy. 
These wine skins were new when we filled them, but now they are old and split open, and our clothing and sandals are worn out from our very long journey. So the Israelites examined their food, but they did not consult the Lord. And verse 15 said, Then Joshua made a peace treaty with them and guaranteed their safety. And the leaders of the community ratified their agreement with their binding oaths. That means they can't go back on what they have done. And that's an interesting reading. Father, we just pray that as we examine these few verses, Lord, I pray that you open our eyes to see. And we pray also that you save us from the deception of the enemy. And Lord, I pray tonight that as the scripture says, that the entrance of your word brings light and understanding to the simple. Let it instruct us, drawing closer to you in a deeper relationship. This we ask through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Um, it's a, a well-known fact of life that we all, at one stage or the other in our lives, we will make mistakes. I don't think there's anyone sitting here tonight who will say that they've never, ever since they've been alive, never made any mistakes. So mistakes is bound to happen. But the truth is that some mistakes can be more costly for us than others. Someone said this, and I'll quote, he says that a dentist's mistake is pulled out. A lawyer's mistake is imprisoned. A teacher's mistake is failed. A printer's mistake is corrected. A pharmacist's mistake is buried. A postman's mistake is forwarded. An electrician's mistake could be shocking. And, <laughs> and I quite like the way this man put this all together. And there's actually a novelist, and this man has written quite a good number of books and novels by name Joseph Conrad. And he actually says that it's only those who do nothing that make no mistakes. And all he's trying to say to us is as long as the life is, there will be mistakes. People will make mistakes. But like I said, some mistakes are more costly than others. And in Joshua's case, from the scripture that we've read, actually Joshua's mistake was doing nothing. And that was what cost Joshua what we are going to be examining uh, tonight. Remember the theme of what we've been looking at right from the time the Israelites came out of Egypt and God was guiding them, leading them into the promised land. God gave them instructions. God told them the things to do. And so the Israelites were not in any doubt as to what God wanted of them or what God expected of them. But from time to time, you see them coming up against opposition. You see the Israelites coming up against different nations whose intention was to stop them from becoming all that God wants them to be. And the tactics of the devil have never changed. He will do everything to stop God's people, either from growing in our relationship with God, or from stopping us from becoming all that God wants us to be, and all that he expects us to be. And so Joshua chapter 9 from verses 1 to 15 actually tells us the stages that led to Joshua's deception. Of which if we take our time and study this scripture carefully and listen to what the Spirit of God is saying to us, maybe that will help us to avoid some of these stages that lead to deception and then at the end of it to destruction. So we're going to look at these verses of scripture and look at the stages that led to Joshua's failure. Remember that Joshua failed the first time we met him in Joshua chapter 8 when he did not ask of the Lord. And then he presumed that he was going to win the battle at Ai. And the Bible said when he went, Joshua and the people were defeated. 
And so Joshua had to come back to the Lord, fell on his face and cried to God. And then God told him, this is the reason. Achan is in the camp. He has taken the things that he should not have taken and that needed to be dealt with. So Joshua dealt with it. He aligned the people to God's will. He gathered them together, read the law to them, told them exactly what God expected of them. And of course, everything came back to normal. And then you get to chapter 9. And you would have assumed that Joshua thought that Joshua would have learned his lessons in chapter 9. But here again, you see another failure. So like I said, mistakes are bound to happen. But it's not about those mistakes, but it's the depth and maybe the seriousness of the mistakes that we make can either help us along the way or destroy everything that God's plan for us is. And when I looked at this uh, story that we have before us, I saw that the first stage of Joshua's failure or the people of Israel of their failure was believing the lies of the enemy. Believing the lies of the enemy. And we saw how the story unfolded. Because the Bible tells us clearly that obviously Israel, they were camped at Mount Ebal and also Mount Gerizim. And they had already reaffirmed their commitment to the Lord. And so the kings of these nations heard that these people are coming. They've destroyed Jericho, they destroyed Ai, and they are advancing. Nothing can stop them. And so they thought to themselves that what can we do to stop God's people from advancing? How are we going to stop them? And I'm sure these men must have looked at their military might and power. And they said to themselves, we are no might, we are not no match for the Israelites. So what have we got? And you know sometimes when you think about your relationship with God and who is in you, as the Bible tells us, is always greater than he that is in the world. The devil is no match for God. The devil is no match for the power that is resident on the inside of us. And so he will not go fighting us word for word in terms of using the word that he's got against the word of God in the scriptures. So he will think of other ways that he can come in and destroy what God is doing. And so you see that the Israelites have enjoyed this great victory. And here they are now thinking that they are going to march forward. But then the enemy was hatching a new plan. And I think this is why we have to be careful that after you experience a great blessing from God, we must be prepared to confront the enemy. Because the Christian life is like valley. There will be valleys. There will be hills. There will be times of great experiences. And there will also be times when it's like you are in the valley. And you see this rise and fall in the story of the Israelites. One time is great victory. Another time is like they are down in the valley. And then again you see them coming up back on again. But God's plan for them was for them to be victorious, not to stay down. God's plan for them was to live beyond deception of the devil and not for them to be deceived. So Israel's greatest danger wasn't the confederation of armies that came to fight against them. It was this group of men, as the Bible tells us from Gibeon, who were about to enter the camp of Israel and deceive Joshua and the princes of Israel. And that tells me that sometimes Satan comes in as a roaring lion. And at other times, he's not going to come as a roaring lion. He will come as a spirit, as a serpent, or what you might call the deceiving serpent, into our lives. Remember the scriptures in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 5 and verse 8. And the Bible described Satan as a roaring lion. And in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, some of us already know this scripture. 
He says, be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion. He says, seeking whom he may devour. Sometimes that's how he comes. Like a roaring lion. You can see him. You can understand his works. But there are other times he doesn't come like a roaring lion because he's easier to detect. And so he will come like a deceiving serpent. You remember in the scriptures when the Bible was talking about Eve being deceived. What does he say in the book of Second Corinthians chapter 11 verse 3? Let me read that to us again. He says, but I fear, this is Paul reminding the Corinthian Christians. He says, but I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted. He says, just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. He didn't come as a roaring lion, but he came as a serpent, deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. And sometimes that's how he comes. And so when you look at what the Gibeonites did, and this is what we're going to examine, we're going to see how he came through these people into the camp of the Israelites just to deceive and to frustrate whatever thing that God was planning for them. So what did the Gibeonites do? What did they do? If you go back to Joshua chapter 9 from verse 3 where we read, and I'm just going to show, and as I'm reading the scriptures, I want you to think and see the deception of the devil in Joshua chapter 9 from verses 3 down to verse 5. And he says, But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, he says, they worked craftily and went and printed there to be ambassadors. And they took old sacks on their donkeys and old wineskins torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet, and old garments of themse- on themselves. And all the bread of their provision, he says, was dry and moldy. Do you know that Gibeon was just only 25 miles from the camp of the Israelites? And God had instructed Joshua, if you read the book of Deuteronomy chapter 20, from verses 10 actually to verse 20, God told Israel that they must destroy all those cities that were near them as they were advancing into the promised land. But then God gave them a condition that after the conquest, that there will be some cities that might remain. So Israel can offer these cities some form of peace treaty to these cities. But for some reason, these Gibeonites knew this provision. Now, how they knew about it, I don't know. But it reminds me that sometimes even the devil as we know him can use the word of God to his for his own purposes. Just as this man of Gibeon knew that there was a provision that has been made that they can actually be offered peace treaty, but not in the way they were about to get it. And that's why you have to be careful. We have to remind ourselves that the enemy, though he's come to deceive us, sometimes there is something he knows. And that might even be the word of God. And he can use that against God's people. You remember the temptation of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 4, for those who still know that story so well. Jesus has fasted and prayed and waited on his father. And all of a sudden, the devil came in. And if you look at the nature of that temptation, the devil was using the very same word of God. But he was twisting it. He said, this is what will happen. There is a word in the book of Psalms that he will give his angels charge over you. If you throw yourself down from the mountain and he will bear you up so you will not dash your foot against the stone. He was using scripture trying to deceive the savior of the world. And sometimes when he comes as a deceiving serpent, 
He comes to question the very word that we have received. You remember in the Old Testament, in the garden, when he came to Adam and Eve, what did he do in the garden? He took the word of God that God had given and said, had God said, and then began to sow doubt in the heart of Adam, uh, in the heart of Eve. And so that tells us that this man knew something about the provision that has been made. They knew that God had told, or possibly they knew what was going on, that they were about to be destroyed. And so they came in and said, can you make a treaty with us? And that tells me that Satan, as we know him, from the deception we see in this scripture, look at this verse 5 as we are reading. It says, they took everything was old, patched sandals on their feet, old garments on themselves. And all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. You can see they were trying to deceive God's people. They were making these things up to make it look like it was real. Doesn't that remind you of what the scripture says? That Satan as we know him can masquerade himself as an angel of light. And we know this so well from scripture. And that is who Satan is. He's a counterfeiter. He can masquerade himself as an angel of light. And that's why it's so easy for some to get deceived and drawn in. Because it doesn't look like deception. They came and said, look at our bread, look at our clothing. Everything was made to look like it was old and it was moldy. But they had an agenda in their mind. In the book of Second Corinthians chapter 11, remember what Paul said again in verse 4 as he was writing to the people. In Second Corinthians 11 verse 14, he says to them, and no wonder, he says, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. That Satan transformed himself into an angel of light, and so also his messengers. If someone comes to you outrightly to deceive you, that might be very difficult. But if they come maybe as ministers of the gospel, as people who have your welfare in mind, then you let your guard down. It's easier for them to penetrate and come into your life than if they had come to you, knowing fully well that they are deceivers. So you can see how they came. Everything was planned. But not only what, how, what they did, let us see what they said to Joshua and the people. Because with the more I read this story, it's quite an interesting one, because the enemy, when I think of what the enemy does, the enemy does not always do things to deceive us, but also he says things to deceive us. So it's not about what he's doing, but we also have to be careful what he's saying to us. And what did they say to the people of Israel? If you go to Joshua chapter 9 and from verse 6 to verse 13, you see what they said. In Joshua chapter 9 from verse 6, he says, And they went to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal and said to him. So it wasn't enough that they did something but they were about to take it a step further. They were about to say something. So there are things that the enemy can do to deceive us. But at the same time, he doesn't stop there. He would then take it to the next level. And that is saying things to us in the same way he said to Eve. In the same way he has been speaking ever since his fall. And that's what he said. And they went to Joshua Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel. He says, we've come from a far country. Don't forget, they were just 25 miles away. Now therefore make a covenant with us. Then the men of Israel said to the Hevites, Perhaps you dwell among us. So how can we make a covenant with you? But they said to Joshua, We are your servants. And Joshua said to them, Who are you and where do you come from? So they said to him, 
from a far country. You can see how they are trying to confuse him. We are from a far country, but actually we are not. They were not. And you look at the next thing. It says, because of the name of the Lord your God, we have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion king of Heshbon and to all king of Bashan who was attached to Ruth. He says, therefore, our elders and all our inhabitants of our country spoke to us saying, take provisions with you for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Now therefore make a covenant with us. This bread of ours we took hot for our provision from the houses on the day we departed to come to you. He says, but now look, it's dry and moldy. And verse 13 says, and these wineskins which we filled were new, and see they are torn, and these garments and our sandals have become old because of the very long journey. You can see all the lies just to get at the people of God. And it reminds us, because when we think about this whole story, human nature is such that many people, even in our world today, find it easier to tell lies than to tell the truth. And behind every deception, you see lies. Remember in John chapter 8, verse 44, the Bible tells us clearly that Satan is a liar. Not only is he a liar, but he is the father of all lies. Think about the lies that the Gibeonites told. First of all, from the scriptures that we just read, they said they were from a far country. This is in verse 6. Why, like I said, Gibeon was just 25 miles away. And then they lied about their clothing and the food. They said, this bread of ours, it was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left, but now, he says, it's dry and moldy. They also lied about themselves and even gave the impression that they were important envoys of an official on an official peace mission from another city. And when you come to verse 9 and verse 11, they call themselves, we are your servants. We are your servants. When I read that phrase, we are your servants, the Spirit of God just spoke something to my heart. And what I could hear clearly in my heart is, we have, we have to be very careful about the things that we think may be serving us. Why those are the very things that want to destroy us. He says, we are your servants. Who doesn't want a servant, somebody to help you along the way? Who doesn't want to get into partnership with someone else? Who doesn't want anyone that comes and submits willingly to you? They say, we are your servants. And as I read that verse, gospel dropped that word in my heart. That be careful for those things that you think may be serving you, actually may be the very thing that wants to destroy us. And sometimes Christians need to have their eyes open to some of these things. There are things that come into our life and we think they are there to help us. There are things that sneak into our churches we think maybe is there to help us. But actually those are the very things that wants to destroy us. But their lie didn't stop there. Did you notice the last lie that they told? They said we have come because of the name of the Lord. You can see, like I, I said earlier on, it's easier for you to detect falsehood. But once it's clothed in company of spiritual language, it then becomes more difficult for you to detect it. We have come because of the name of the Lord. It's just like someone's coming to you and saying to you, God said to me to tell you this. Once you hear God said, it's easier for you to think, okay, they must be telling the truth. And these men knew it because these were God's people. So the best way to come in 
is to say to them, well, we have come because of the name of the Lord your God. And that's how the Israelites started getting drawn in. And when you think of all the deceptions going on in our world today, how people are deceived, you see all this coming in. Not only what the devil is doing to them, but what the devil is saying to them, and also even using the name of the Lord to deceive and to carry out all his works. I was reading a story the other day, and I think, I don't know, maybe some of us already know about this. It was a TV program, and um, this lady came out on TV, and she was talking about, um, uh, it was a form of a scam that was going on, some kind of dating scam. And uh, she said she met this man online, and she thought that this man was real. She thought she was speaking to someone, you know, having a normal friendship online, until this man started asking for money. She started giving money, sending, and the, the man was playing on her emotions. The man was using the information that he's gotten about her and was telling all kinds of lies until by the time she knew it, this woman's life savings had already gone in this calm and deception. And when she was being interviewed, she said, I feel so ashamed of myself. I know I'm an intelligent woman, but how I got sucked into this, she said, I can't even explain it. And that is the power of deception. Because at that point, she had let her guard down. At that point, everything looked real to her. And she fell for it. So it's not about these deceptions that come our way. But the question we need to be asking is, why did these Gibeonites succeed in their deception? It's not that deception wouldn't come our way. But the question we need to be asking is, why sometimes do we give in to these deceptions of the enemy when it comes our way? And what I saw when I read this verse of scripture again, why this Gibeonite succeeded was very, very simple. When you go to verse 14 and verse 15, you will see why they succeeded. And the same thing today, this is the reason why the enemy is succeeding in deceiving God's people. And look at verse 14 and verse 15. It says, I'll begin to round off from here. It says, then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, that the provisions that these men brought, but look at the next phrase, very important. But they did not ask counsel of the Lord. The next verse tells us, it says, So Joshua made peace with them, made a covenant with them to let them leave. And the rulers of the congregation swore to them. You can see the binding oath. But the Bible says in verse 14, that the reason was very simple, that Joshua and the princes of Israel did not take time to consult the Lord. Remember at the battle of Ai, that was the same thing. They did not ask God. They went ahead and got beaten and defeated. And you would have thought they would have learned their lessons, but they never did. And here again, the devil came. In Ai, he came as a roaring lion, but here now he's coming as a deceiving serpent. And the children of Israel did not consult the Lord. They walked by sight and not by faith. You remember what the Bible tells us, that we do not walk by sight, but we walk by faith. And what did they do? They picked up the provision, as the Bible tells us, took their food, examined it, everything was by sight. What we can see, what we can touch, what it feels like. Their senses were at work, but there was something they failed to do. They did not ask the Lord. If I should def uh, rephrase this whole thing in, in a different way, what Joshua was actually doing was they were taking what you might call the scientific approach and not the spiritual approach to matters. 
And sometimes is that not what we do? We take the scientific approach to problems and to things, but without stepping back and maybe looking at it through the eyes of the Spirit. And that is human nature for you. There are people in our world today, it's all about what they can think, what they can touch, how they can feel. Does does it sound logical for us? And so once everything ticks those boxes, they are drawn in. But the spiritual man, the man who has the eyes of the spirit, will step back and say, it may look like it, but it may not be. It may sound like it, but it may not be. This man might look spiritual, but he might be a dry well. There could be something that looks like this is true and real. But what is God saying to my spirit about this person? They depended on their senses, like I said, examined all the facts, discussed maybe the matter, and agreed in their conclusion that this must be all right. And the Bible says they made a covenant with these people and swore a binding oath with them. And when I think about it, I ask myself a simple question. Is God's will difficult to know? And the answer is no. Is, is, is no. When you go to Psalm 33 and verse 11, listen to what the Bible says in Psalm 33 verse 11. It says that the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The mind of God, his plans, his wills, his will, and the plans of his heart to all generations. So that tells me that God is willing to let us know what his will is for our lives. He's willing to reveal things to us when we come to him with sincerity of heart and we ask him questions about it. And if God knows that we really want to do his will, he will show it to us and he will reveal it to us. Look at what he says in John 7 verse 17. If anyone wills to do his will, he says he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak of my own authority. He says, if anyone wills to do his will, then he will know. So if God knows that truly from the heart I want to do his will, and that's why I'm asking, that's why I'm bringing the matter before him, then God will speak to me. He will open my eyes to see. He will uncover the deception and let me know truly who is speaking into that situation. Had situation Had Joshua and the leaders of Israel taken their time Maybe possibly to pause and to think and to review this matter again or maybe not be in a hurry to come to conclusions. Maybe they would not have made this great mistake they made. Because if you remember, earlier on, I think this was when Moses was still leading them. Moses told them clearly in Exodus chapter 34 and verse 12. And that is where it was stated clearly in Exodus 34 and verse 12. This is what Moses told them. He says, take heed to yourself lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, lest it be a snare in your midst. Actually, another translation of this verse of scripture says, lest you be trapped. And I prefer that one, and that's exactly what happened. The people of Israel became trapped, all because they broke the command that God had already given them. All because they did not spend time in prayer to listen to what God is saying. All because they took the scientific approach and not the spiritual approach, forgetting that things may look the way they are, but then God may show you the true nature of the way that things are. And I think that for us as Christians, when we come to a point when we begin to believe the enemy, instead of seeking the mind of the Lord, then we can truly expect to get into trouble. In whatever we do, 
As long as we get to a point where we begin to believe what the enemy is saying and what the enemy is doing, then we can really expect to get into trouble. And that was the first stage of their deception, believing the enemy, what the enemy was doing, what the enemy was saying. And so tonight, before we pray, the simple question I want to ask us is, are you listening to the lies of the devil? Are you so reliant on your human senses and understanding? These were the questions that God had to ask me as I was preparing. That, who do I listen to more? Do I listen more to my senses? Or do I take those things back to the Lord and allow Him to either put a seal of approval on what I think, or do I go ahead with my own plan? Remember the Bible tells us, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and then he shall direct or guide your path. As Christians, or as a people of promise, we are not called to believe the enemy. What we are called to do is to test every spirit. And then after testing the spirit, then we can hold on to that which we know is true. Do not believe the enemy. Shall we bow down our hearts in prayer? And I just want us for a few seconds to meditate on this, this truth tonight. Next Sunday we are going to see the second stage. And for some, this is, the, this is where the battle and the struggle is. Believing the enemy. Believing what he's doing and what he's saying. He's not coming to you as a roaring lion. He's just coming maybe as a, as, as a deceiving serpent. And all you need to do is ask God to open your eyes to see. For God to show you, to uncover the falsehood. Ask Him for that wisdom tonight in your heart. Ask him for that vision that you need. The song we sang before this one says, Be thou my vision. Be thou my battle shield soul for the fight. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, rulers, and wickedness in high places. Maybe Joshua and the people forgot that their battle was not with man. We bring our churches before him in our hearts. We bring our families before him. That we will not become victims of the deception of the devil in whatever form that it comes to us. We make a commitment in our heart tonight not to believe the enemy. But to seek the mind of the Lord. We pray tonight that he will show us the way to take. Even in those difficult decision-making times, God can and does reveal and speak to his people. 
So Lord, we just pray for anyone who have said that simple prayer in their heart tonight. Lord, I pray that you help us not to believe the enemy. Whatever tactics that he comes to us or that he brings, Lord, we pray that our eyes will see the truth. And is there someone here or in our families who is being drawn in to the lies of the enemy? Lord, we pray that they will be set free to hold on to that which is true as they draw close to you. This we pray through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 We will now uh, take our last song to close the meeting. If you have enjoyed listening to this podcast, why not join us in worship at the Dingle Mount Church or log on to our website at www.dinglemount.org for more information. Thank you for listening.